All right, folks. Welcome. Let's uh, let's begin with prayer, and then we will dive in. Gracious Father, we thank you for the freshness and the exhilaration of this new day. It is truly a gift from you, and the beauty of uh, this area is uh, a reflection of your great handiwork. We thank you for the faithfulness that you display to our life every day that we live. We thank you most of all, our Heavenly Father, that you have made us part of your heritage, the family of God. We ask that as we look to the scriptures today that you would be pleased at our response. May our Father, we be people that are allowing the Spirit of God to minister to us through the scriptures. We ask our Father's wealth that as we uh, look at our own individual circumstances, recognizing that there may be some personal challenges that each of us go through, that we would recognize that you are in complete control and that you have the mastery over all aspects of our life. We recognize, our Father, that trials come to us, sometimes unexpectedly. They also come to us sometimes uh, <coughs> They come to us sometimes where we do not want them, but our Father, we pray that we would take all of these situations and allow you to teach us what you want us to know. May this day be a day that is profitable in our spiritual growth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, uh, we, have, uh, we are migrating our way through the book of James. And uh, if I may, uh, let me just talk to you about a little bit of the background. We haven't gone over some of this recently, but I have suggested to you that uh, the book of James is listed number 20 in our Bibles. And the thing that is important for us to recognize is that even though it is number 20 in the list of books, most scholars believe that it is written very early. Galatians was the first book the Apostle Paul wrote right at the conclusion of his first mission trip. And then we have most of the New Testament written during this particular time, probably a, uh, a 10 to 15 year period of time. But we believe that the book of James is written right at the very beginning of the church age, probably within just a matter of two or three years uh, at the very most uh, after the church has started. So I am suggesting to you that James is written 15 years, very likely prior to any other New Testament book. And the reason for that is I have suggested that uh, he addresses, he addresses primarily Jewish people, uh, the 12 tribes scattered abroad, no mention of Jew-Gentile interaction or controversy, no reference to Gentile outreach. So this is something that is completely foreign to their thinking at this particular point. It does become evident, it does become relevant a little bit later on, but also what James is going to be relying upon is a lot of references to the Sermon on the Mount. And I will confess to you, 
We haven't looked at a lot of those, but trust me, there are uh, those references, many references to the book of Proverbs, which we're going to look at today. And then I'm suggesting that is practical and pastoral in its emphasis. James is written early on, persecution to the Jewish Christian community is intensifying, it's growing. And we can start seeing that when we come to the, uh, the book of James. Also, may I suggest to you that the uh, outline of the book of James uh, is taken from chapter 1, verse uh, 20, uh, 19 and 20, uh, where he says, I want you to be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. That's the emphasis. We have already looked at the swift to hear section. The slow to speak section is in the third chapter. And we have already looked basically at the tongue is a dangerous instrument for displaying wisdom. And the reason it is a dangerous instrument for displaying wisdom is because of its deficiencies. And it is so inconsistent, so inconsistent. It can do just about everything. It can bless, it can damage, all kinds of things. However, as we look at the second part of chapter three, holy conduct is the safe instrument for displaying wisdom. And so that's where we are in the book of James. Now, as we come to chapter three, and I would like to read starting with verse 13 uh, down to the end of the chapter. We are confronted with two key choices. Two key choices. And that is the wisdom of God or the wisdom of man. The wisdom of God, the wisdom of man. Remember, he's talking to us specifically about being slow to speak. For all of us, that's a challenge. For all of us, that is something we have to constantly, constantly work on. Because it's so easy to talk. So easy to talk kind of uh, <clears throat> half thinking. Chapter 3, let me read, starting with verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. 
and the seeds of those fruits of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. How is being slow to speak an advantage? Because when our conduct is such and our behavior is such, then we will be careful as to how we speak. We speak first and conduct ourselves later, behave ourselves later, chances are we're going to get in trouble. So let me, if I may, go to the, whoops, let me go forward. What is wisdom? Uh, we looked at this word way back when we were starting the book of James. And uh, you remember the, uh, you remember the little thing from Princess Bri, you know, I do not think uh, that word means what you think it means. Uh, what is wisdom? Uh, so that's the question that we have to ask ourselves as we get into this section. And I am going to suggest to you that the only way to define wisdom is not necessarily to look at our modern day idea of what wisdom is, but we have to look at the scriptures, particularly the book of Proverbs, to find out what the word wisdom means. And when you look at the word wisdom, particularly from the book of Proverbs, you discover that it primarily has the aspect of behavior or skill. And these are just a variety of definitions that I am going to suggest. Skillful living based on proper knowledge, practical application of knowledge to experience, proper behavior flowing from knowledge of God, not just acquired information, but practical insight with spiritual application. In other words, wisdom primarily has to do with skillful behavior, behaving in a right way. That's the whole idea, that's the whole emphasis of the book of Proverbs. So when you look at this section as it is related to the book of Proverbs and what James is, is, is banking on, where his resource is, he is suggesting to us that rather than speak, let your conduct of life, your behavior in life, do the speaking for you. When that is the case, at that point, we will be the kind of people that God wants us to be. The abundance of words, chances are, is going to only produce potential sinful behavior. So, let me, if I may, suggest to you that when you look at the word wisdom, you have to put it through a lens of all of these different things. And when you combine all of these things together, you suddenly come up with the biblical idea of what wisdom is. Not just stuff up here, but stuff up here that flows through the balance of your whole body and your whole uh, existence. So, let me, if I may, take you to the book of Proverbs for just a moment. 
And uh, when you look at the book of Proverbs, I would like you to uh, hold the place in James chapter 3. We'll come back to this in a moment. I would like for you to look at a very, very interesting section when you come down to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs was written by Solomon, stated to be one of the wisest men that ever lived. And the reason he was wise is because that's what he asked God for. I want to be a wise leader. Now, he is writing to his son. And his son was not a very good learner. But that doesn't mean the information that he was trying to pass on to his son was not of value. I am going to suggest to you that there are basically three kinds or categories of people that are being addressed in the book Proverbs. And there is, if you might say, a progression of these individuals. And I'm looking specifically at Proverbs chapter 1, starting with verse 20. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the gate of the city, she utters her sayings. Now, here's what she says. How long, O naive ones, will you love simplicity? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. So he mentions three different categories of people. Now there's one more category mentioned in the book of Proverbs, and that is the sluggard. And I'm not sure it's exactly where to put the sluggard, but he talks about the sluggard <laughs> in chapter 7 and 8. The lazy person. What is the naive person like? Well, they're the person just starting out. They're the empty-headed, airheads, easily influenced, inexperienced, gullible simpletons. If you have raised children. Don't beat around the bush. <laughs> if you have raised children, you have come... In every single one of them, there is that stage where parents say, I wonder if they're going to make it. <laughs> you know, they're right at that fork in the road, and you say to yourself, man, oh man, I hope they get out of that stage. And really and truly, it is a fork in the road. And sometimes they go down the wrong path, and other times they go down the right path, and if they do go down on the right path, don't pat yourself on the back. Because I will tell you from experience, if your children turn out to where there is an asset to the community, an asset to society, it is all the grace of God. Trust me on that. It is all the grace of God. It's not your great or your poor child-rearing techniques. It is the grace of God. Now, he goes on after he talks about the naive. He talks about the scoffer. And I am suggesting you the scoffer is that kind of next step down. If they pass through the naive stage 
and are walking down the wrong path, they get to the scoffer stage where they challenge everything. They're a questioner. They're a cynic. You know, they're, they're rebelling from society, rebelling from authority, the whole ball of wax. I'm not going to have anybody raise their hand and say, hey, we had one of those. <laughs> but, you know, we all know where that is. The next stage is the stage that hopefully is the bottom of the rung. It's the fool, the shrewd, self-sufficient, morally insensitive, morally perverse, irrational, cannot reason with them at that point. They're goners, if you please. And uh, the whole point of the book of Proverbs is we don't want people to get to that stage. So I am suggesting to you that there is a downward spiral where a person starts up here and they can potentially end down here. Solomon does not want that to happen. So he cries out and he says to these people, folks, listen. Now, I want to read some sections from the book of Proverbs and uh, just to give you an idea of the value of wisdom and the importance of wisdom. And then we'll come back to the book of James. And having that as our background, we can kind of put the nuts and bolts to biblical wisdom as God wants us to. I'm looking starting with chapter 1. And I'm going to start with the very first verse and read down to verse 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. He goes on and he says, To know wisdom and instruction. By the way, wisdom and instruction, remember, that's the same exact phrase that he talks about in James chapter 3. To discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear an increase in learning. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddle. The fear of the Lord is a beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It is important for us to realize that the fool is not mentally deficient. The fool is sometimes a pretty smart person. They're very, very skilled. They're eloquent. But the problem is they are rejecting the kind of wisdom that comes from God. Self-sufficient, shrewd, Self-assured, it's all there. But when they get to that particular stage, it's, it's tough. I'm looking at chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Notice how he approaches this. If you will notice, he says in verse 1, My son, if... 
Verse 3, for if. Verse 4, if. If you do these things. Verse 5, then. Verse 9, then. If you do this and this and this, here are the results. Let's read it. My son, if you will receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding, for if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasure, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, comes understand, or knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of the godless, godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course, for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you, understand. understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil. Verse 16, to deliver you from the strange woman. Verse 20, so that you will walk in the ways of good men. Very, very interesting. I'm looking now at verse 13 of chapter 3. How valuable is wisdom? How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Now notice what he says about wisdom. For its profit is better than the profit of silver, and its gain than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. I love verse 17. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is, a fire, uh, she is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all those who hold her fast. I'm looking last of all at chapter 4, starting with verse 5. Acquire wisdom. Acquire understanding. Do not forget, nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will guard you. Love her, and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. And with all your acquiring, get understanding. Prize her, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of beauty. <clears throat> that is wisdom. That is wisdom. And Solomon knows that the wisdom that God gave him was something that he can hold on to. 
it's going to be something that sustains him. Now, unfortunately, we all know the end of the story. And the end of the story is the king of Israel, Solomon, did not heed his own advice. And because of the pattern of behavior that he had, it's very, very likely that his son followed that path and unfortunately, Solomon had a divided heart, and so his son left a divided nation. As we go on a little bit further, what we're going to see in the next section of James <clears throat> is that there is a contrast in origin, contrast in operation, contrast and outcome when it comes to wisdom. And so with this section, let's look at it in a little bit more detail. <clears throat> Earthly wisdom, uh, it has essentially these characteristics. Uh, if you look at the passage you are going to notice that it starts out in verse 14. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above. It is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. What are the characteristics of earthly wisdom? Now, the words that are being used here are uh, quite interesting. Uh, for example, the second word, selfish intent. Uh, that particular word is used from the Greek language about six times in the New Testament. And uh, every time you see that word, it's over in the book of Galatians, it's over in the book of Romans, whenever he's talking about uh, the kind of behavior that is characteristic of people living in carnality or people who are unbelievers, the selfish intent the word that is used about six times in the New Testament was a favorite word that Aristotle used 250 to 300 years prior. It's all through his writings. And the interesting thing about that word is he's always using that word in the context of political discussion where there are two sides and a political issue. And generally speaking, what is happening is you've got selfish intent on both sides. We are living in an era right now in which I think we are seeing a manifestation of that, the likes of which we haven't seen, at least in my lifetime. Uh, it's amazing. But what is worldly wisdom? Rather than compromising, coming up with the best possible solutions, 
there is jealousy and selfish intent. I cannot help but think that there's a little bit of a growing intensity with every one of these words that he uses. Uh, earthly, natural, demonic, disorder, just chaos. That's what comes about with earthly wisdom. And uh, anybody have a comment about some of this stuff? You can talk about anything you want. <laughs> uh, it's really something that we are experiencing right now. Uh, it's astounding. Yes, ma'am. Um, did you figure out, do you remember that song? Yeah. Okay. What is it? Um, I stand all amazed at oh. the love Jesus offers me. That was a song. Me. I stand all amazed. That's, okay. See, I knew she would be able to. All right, now you didn't raise your hand just because of that, right. did you? But they also at that funeral sang the one about Kolob. Bounced <laughs> uh, out. That discounted, that just canceled out that first song. So anyway, do all of you know what we're talking about? Good. You don't? Talk today, ask Dave about Kolob. <laughs> The disorder. Um, Dennis Prager says that our present day culture now is being, um, oh, the main word for it is chaos, chaotic. You see chaos in the kind of art that's being produced now, in the music that's being produced, and, he, and in the thinking. And he compares it to um, the past where we had beautiful art and we had classical music and we had order and you know and rational thinking and now it's the young people particularly are thriving on chaos does everybody know who dennis prager is uh would you uh, tell them who Dennis Prager uh, is. is. Dennis Prager is not a believer. Right, but he's uh, a Jewish Hebrew scholar, and he has a, a political podcast. He's very conservative. He's very pro-America. He lives in California, and he's very pro-Christianity, but not a Messiah believer. Uh, but that, that chaos thing is, is boy, oh boy, does that, does that hit the nail on the head? Yes, go ahead. Did I miss, what is the word that you kept referring to that Aristotle um, meant? Uh, the selfish intent, selfish ambition. That, the Greek word for that word is what, the one that Aristotle loved. He would always talk, every time he talked about the politics of his day, he would use that particular word. Forgive me, I, yes, go ahead, Barb. I was just going to say, it wasn't just, it's not just the young people. Yes. Going nuts at older people. You think? You think there's a little bit of. The whole thing. All the women Karens. I mean, TikTok is full of videos of people going crazy. I have heard of TikTok, but. Well, they call All I know is that has reference to a clock, so. <laughs> I'm just saying, 
just how many of the rest of you are on TikTok? I'm not even on TikTok. Okay, you just I've know it's there. It. Okay. But they, what they do is they videotape people who are going crazy, screaming at each other, and they call the woman a Karen. So this is a this is a new thing. The Karens. They're using the name Karen as a derogatory term. The people that invented internet and all of these other uh, things probably never, ever anticipated that Satan would use this to his advantage. But boy, he has. He's playing everything. How's that? <laughs> the last week you were out in California and you had the woman who set one of the big forest fires out in California. They caught her. Yeah. A 30 year old blonde woman set one of the biggest forest fires out there in California. What is is that what we've been fighting all this last yes. summer? They did yes. find her. How did they found one of them, yes. There was a guy that they arrested too that had started one of the fires. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she was is there a motive? She, what? Said. she just said she built a campfire to cook food or something like that. Mm -hmm. And obviously that's not true, but yeah. You know, many years ago when we lived in Colorado, they had a woman forest ranger who set one of the biggest forest fires. As a matter of fact, we were ready to evacuate our home out there. She was burning her love letters. <laughs> <laughs> well, she was successful. <laughs> Some letters, love letters, need to be burned, but Oh my. All right. Uh, there is another side of this ledger, thankfully. And that is the wisdom that is from heaven. Uh, I find it very interesting that there is a striking similarity between this list and the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, maybe the phrase fruit of the Spirit wasn't even coined yet this early in the church age. But when you say pure, uh, undefiled, uh, the, the motive is pure. There's not a second guessing. There's not a hidden agenda when it comes to purity. It is peaceable. Not only does it preach peace and proclaim peace, but it works in every avenue to promote and bring about peace to the end. Uh, it is gentle. Uh, it is, is well reasonable. Uh, uh, it has, a, it has a, uh, a logic to it where it's, it, it can be... Uh, talked about, and you can come to a, a consensus. Uh, we, this, this whole area right now, reasonable, uh, is just about absent uh, in some circles. Uh, you can't discuss certain things because there is so much personal attack. Uh, and I know I'm getting into the political area just a little bit, but you know, uh, I have a very good friend who I have been uh, uh, emailing with back and forth. We visited him back in August. 
And uh, we, we were, we were best friends in college, all right? In fact, we were such good friends in college. <laughs> I shouldn't tell you this. We were such good friends in college, they would never let us be roommates because when we got together, there was this lethal combination. You understand what I'm talking about? This mischievous side. And so, but we, we hung out. And we've stayed friends for all these years, 40 years plus. Uh, but he and I are seeing exactly opposite sides of certain issues. It's, uh, it's fun to debate. It's exasperating debate. But our friendship is still just as strong as ever. Is he reformed huh? theology? He says he's not. Okay, he says he's that. eclectic. And I say, well, then why are you adopting the reform position on this particular passage? But that, some of you may not know what we're talking about. But David, why did you have to bring that up? <laughs> Anyway, uh, but you know we're 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 best friends. When we when we get together, uh, there's there's great conversation. But you know it doesn't have to get to the point of being uh, super hostile. Uh, he goes on and he says, "Full of mercy, good fruits, good fruits, uh, unwavering." without hypocrisy. All of you know that the word hypocrisy uh, comes from a Greek word that was based in the theater, do you not? And back then they did not have microphones and they did not have uh, a way to project their voice way out, although they probably did. But when you had a sad line you had a mask that you put on and it had a big frown. And people would be able to see, well, I may be not be able to hear what they're saying, but uh, I can tell it's not, a, it's not a good line. If it's a happy line, then they would put up a mask over their face that had a big smile and people would know, well, that, then this, this is a good line. The whole idea though is that they would be wearing masks, and you never knew what was really behind the mask. <coughs> and that's basically what hypocrisy is. You never know what is really going on in their head. In our next section, uh, which we're going to get to in a few weeks, I, I won't be here the next couple weeks, but. The next section that we go into, he's going to talk about slow to wrath, and uh, I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be making references to uh, church fights. Uh, there's a guy named Leslie Flynn, who has written a little book that I have, Great Church Fights. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but anyway, he has, he's gone through the Bible and he's highlighted different things. I think he's embellished some stories in the Bible. But I will have to tell you that one of the things that uh, I became aware of way back in about the mid-1980s is there was a book 
that came out, produced by Christianity Astray. Mm -hmm. uh, did everybody catch that? Yeah, we did. Uh, and it was a leadership series book, and it's a book entitled Well-Intentioned Dragons in the Church. How many of you ever heard of that book? Uh, you know, I really ought to have Doug come in and give his little talk that he gave uh, about some of the controversies that he has been through because uh, he, he comes to this church having been beat and battered by several other churches before he got here. Uh, has, he, has, has he mentioned some of that in the men's thing a little bit? Mm -hmm. He hasn't. Uh, yeah, he is, he's been asked to leave uh, several other churches, and it's because of a leadership issue that there were, there were these, this tremendous controversy in the church before he ever got there. Uh, let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, one of the churches that he was involved in, in Michigan, and uh, maybe it was his naivete, I do not know, I'm not going to judge him, but uh, he became the pastor of this monster church. Uh, the previous pastor had committed suicide by hanging himself in the office. Uh, now, I tell you what, that's the kind of thing that churches just do not get over. And he went in there trying to heal it. And I don't know, I don't know even know if the Apostle Paul or Jesus Christ could have healed that situation. But what happened is, uh, it, in time, it just, everything just came out. And so we do not know, he doesn't even know, whether, uh, whether there were some underlying situations in that church before he ever got there that surfaced, causing that previous pastor to do what he did, and then finally coming completely out in the open after he got there. The next church he went to, I hope I'm not telling secrets, but you know, we, all of us brothers uh, were in ministry and we, we kept up with this. I mean, he would call us uh, on a regular basis. The next church he went to, uh, which I will not uh, tell you where it is, but the next church he went to, the chairman of the board was the son of the previous pastor. <clears throat> not a good situation. And uh, it was a super duper power struggle. And uh, I know the previous pastor. He was a professor at Dallas Seminary during my days there. He came to visit. But I will tell you what, there was some real controversy and hostility there because primarily a tremendous personality difference. Uh, now, I will, I am in no way saying anything negative about my brother because my brother, Doug, who is the current pastor, I was the previous pastor, I could not be more elated with what he's doing here. I could not be more elated. When I hear of what could have happened, uh, I'm, I'm elated, but I'll tell you what, 
God has, uh, God has put him through the ringer, and he experienced the opposite of all of this when he was at those previous churches. And uh, I think God has really used him in an incredible way. And he's learned, all of us have learned in that situation. Any comments or uh, questions about this? The wisdom that is from above, exactly opposite of earthly wisdom. And uh, if, you, uh, if you don't have this, uh, chances are there's going to be some difficulty. I, and I, I got to say this one more thing. I have been, since I retired from Mid Valley Bible Church, I have been the interim pastor at four other churches. All right? Four. Colorado, one here in Salt Lake, one in Missouri, one in Nevada. And I will have to tell you that in only one situation of those four did I feel good about the next guy coming in. Does everybody understand what I just said? In other words, I would not have chosen, but that wasn't my choice. That wasn't my choice. It was their choice. But I have a very, very good friend who says pastoral search committees do not know what questions to ask. And he's right. I've had several pastors tell me that. So it's, uh, boy, I tell you what, it's the grace of God if the next pastor that comes in stays on the right course. Someone had their hand up over here. Oh, she left. I should have stopped talking. See, I got myself in trouble. By the way, Jim and Claire, welcome. Good to see you guys. We're glad to be here. The first time I ever went to Jim, after he started coming to church, way back. Way back, way back. Way, way back. 40 years ago. I got to the door, I knocked. He had his dog sitting right next to the door named Zeke. And he opened the door and he said, kill Zeke. Oh. Anyway, I'll never forget that, Jim. <laughs> hey, thank you so much. Have a good week. Well, to see you folks around.